Turn to the Acts of the Apostles. I'll be reading Acts chapter 4, verse 32 through Acts chapter 5, verse 11. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, For as many as were owners of lands and houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. And thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said to him, Ananias Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, Yes, for so much. And Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in and found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband, and great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. Father, help me this morning. Deal honestly soberly with this passage that we also may be filled with joy and the comfort of your Holy Spirit as those who are being saved. Do this to the glory of your holy name. Amen. You know, Luke wrote two volumes, Gospel of Luke and Acts. Luke did a lot of research. Luke had tons of material, historical situations and happenings. But Acts of the Apostles is actually pretty darn small. And so, of all the information that Luke had at his disposal, what we do have in Acts throughout that book is very selective and intentional. The book of Acts, it's history, but 
It's also theology. It's also intended to make theological, practical Christian points. And what we have here this morning is that the overall thrust of what Luke is doing in this passage is he is showing us the life-changing power of genuine faith in Jesus. That's his point in verses 32 to 35, that first block of the general main statement. It is about the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit freeing Christians from the love of money and things. And it produces in them a love for their fellow Christians. And so, after stating the general principle of this Christian life of love and giving, he then gives two polar examples, polar opposite illustrations of what did actually happen in the early church. First, Barnabas, then Ananias and Sapphira. First, Barnabas' overflowing joy in Jesus freeing him to give away his money. Then, secondly, the hypocrisy of Ananias and Sapphira exactly what the Christian life is not to be. So, let's begin. Verse 32 to 35, here's Luke's general statement of the dynamic of the early church in Jerusalem. Now, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands, or houses, sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Okay. That's what Luke wants to see. He wants to see that big picture. But don't miss his point. He makes this general statement about believers. That's his point. Born again by the Holy Spirit, new creatures in Christ Jesus, believers. In other words, they are changed. They're different than they were before. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And that's why no one said any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. Of those who believed. Luke shows us their faith in Christ produced in them free will, joyful giving of what they owned. Their money. So, for these Christians in the early church who had plenty to live on, to eat from, they got shelter over their head. They're not selling the shelter over their head. But then they had more than that. He says they're believing in Jesus, who was all satisfying to them. It overflowed in the freedom to give. 
for the sake of the Lord's people, other brothers and sisters who really did have need of daily food and shelter and temporal needs. Now, remember where we're at. There, there are no Gentiles being saved at all yet. This is in Jerusalem. All of these thousands of Christians, they're Jews. Think about what that means. Is embedded in the Old Testament Scripture and embedded in their upbringing, in how they were raised in their religious Jewish culture was the principle for all of them never living on 100% of their income. Just as their parents taught them, say please. You got to do it thousands of times. Say thank you, Johnny, or Jacob. Their parents taught them with the Bible that they take of their livelihood a percentage. And on a regular, systematic basis, they don't spend it on themselves, but they give it. Their parents modeled it in front of them and taught it to them. That's who, the, that's who they are. And now, here we are. Thousands of these Jews get saved through the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And a community is created there in Jerusalem and maybe surrounding a little bit of the area. And the needs of some of their brothers and their sisters, fellow Jewish Christians, their need is really evident to them. And so many of these believers with wealth beyond their daily needs saw all of their worldly blessings as not to be their own, to spend upon more luxury toys. But they were free. They were freed by the Holy Spirit to see their abundance as a blessing to share with others. And that yearning to give flowed out of what the Holy Spirit did in their hearts. Read it. The full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. It's the bonding of love between believers that propels them to overflow in giving away stuff for the sake of the community. Now, Luke is writing about what actually happened. It's true, but he's not just writing and he's not just saying one more darn historical thing happened. He had a goal. He was preaching to Theophilus, a very wealthy man, and by extension, he knows he's preaching to Christians everywhere whom he knew would be reading his account. Luke's point is the powerful effects of the gospel producing such freedom to give. He knows we have been changed. We've been born again. We are new creatures in Christ. He has made clear already, right? The Holy Spirit has come and He, he, he fills us again and again. We remain in the world, but we're no longer of the world. The Gospel frees the believer from the love of money, which is the root and the foundation of all kinds of evil. And it frees us by producing love, dependence, trust in God, and love and care for others. In Luke's first volume, the Gospel of Luke, Luke recorded Jesus 
just pounding away to his disciples. Trust God. Have faith. Believe. For whom am I going to read? Listen to Jesus. Luke 12, verses 28 to 34. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will He clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat or what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you have need of them. But instead, seek first His kingdom, and these things will be added to you. And then Jesus looks at the crowd of disciples and says, Fear not, little flock. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions. Give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old. With treasure in the heavens that does not fail. Where no thief approaches and no moth destroys because where your treasure is there will be your heart also and so that's what they are doing in Acts chapter 4 it was not because there was some external rule to be a church member that says you have to do what Barnabas is doing in order to find favor with God. That's not what was happening. It was because they heard and believed the Word of Jesus. Fear not, little flock. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Faith in God's promises sets the heart free from fear that if I give too much, then God cannot take care of me. I mean, just I, want, I, I always, every time we come across this passage, you, you have to mention the word communism in our day and age. Okay. So, this is not communism on a governmental level or even a kibbutz level in Israel. No, 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 no. Communism is when the people don't have a right of ownership of their property, their things, their stuff, or their money in their hand. Luke stresses that believers do have personal ownership of property, money, and things. And that's what's foundational of what he's saying. It's foundational of what God produced. This joy in giving from what Christians actually owned or belonged to them. You can see this clearly in verse 4 of chapter 5. Peter says to Ananias, While it remained, that is, your property, your land, while it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? It was yours, not somebody else's. And after it was sold, and you got the money for it, and there it is in hand, was that money not at your disposal as the owner of it to do with it what you will? 
In other words, this is about the freedom of a Christian to give of what they own. This is not about church laws. Like, like, like governmental laws which extract money from us, the citizens, at the threat of imprisonment and punishment. It's called taxes. Peter is saying, Ananias, your property is your property. There are no church rules that declare your property is not yours anymore. Well, then why do we get that thing? All these people consider that their stuff wasn't theirs anymore. See, if there are people in the church like Barnabas who do say, my belongings here, my belongings there do not belong to me anymore, it's not because they're forced to say it. It's because they want to say it. They've been changed from the inside by the indwelling Holy Spirit. They are free to give. In other words, like all the millions and millions of Christians today who declare privately before God, 10% off the top of my income does not belong to me to spend on my own household needs. They don't do it out of coercion. They do it from freedom, from a joyful want to. That's what Peter's saying in verse 4. Ananias, while it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? In other words, he's saying to Ananias, and we're going to get to what his sin really was. It wasn't that. It was, what, it was the deception. He says to Ananias, it was yours to do with as you pleased. No one coerced you to come here today and to lay the money that you did down at our feet. No one did that. If your heart Ananias does not tell you to give, then don't give. Luke's whole point in this story is to describe the radically freeing effect of true faith in Jesus to give. Christianity is not a matter of mere external conformity to religious rules or expectations. It's a matter of internal transformation of freedom to give because we trust God. And that's why in our passage now, I'm convinced that's why Luke gives us two examples. General principle, what was happening, and let me give you two polar opposite examples. He does it in order to drive home what true faith is. It is a heart-changed faith that is free and joyful to give. And then he says, that's Barnabas. And then he gives the example of a shriveled up heart that is much more interested in self-exaltation and how it appears than it is in worshiping God. And this is religiosity that's hypocritical. Ananias, in other words, and his wife Sapphira tried to fake it on the outside when it really wasn't there on the inside. So first... Note, he gives the Barnabas example. Remember, now he introduces Barnabas, but he will be bringing him up because as we know in the early church, Barnabas became a pretty big deal in the Acts of the Apostles. He was Paul's peer. He was worked as a partner with Paul in the first missionary journey. And now right here, Luke brings up his example in chapter 4, verses 36 to 37. Thus... Joseph, who was also called by the apostles 
Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. In other words, Barnabas here really loved Jesus. The fruit that came out of his life, as it will unfold in the book of Acts, became very evident as a mature leader in the church. He was solid, he was wise, he was highly trusted. Later they will entrust Barnabas with Paul and others to go from Antioch to Jerusalem with a whole bunch of money for that church. And he was compassionate. You see that with Mark. We have different gifts. Paul didn't have that one so much, evidently. But right here in Acts 4, Luke introduces Barnabas by showing his heart, which shows us how his trustworthy ministry began. It was rooted in the Holy Spirit's taking the knife and cutting away from Barnabas the love of money and causing him to overflow in loving his fellow Christians. So what Barnabas is here is just, he's just one of the many, many examples, but Luke wants to put Barnabas in there. We know now why, because we read the rest of the book and what he's going to do with him. But he was just one of the examples of what he already said in verses 34 and 35. There was not a needy person among them because as many as were owners of lands and houses, they sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to each as any had need. And so it was this genuine work of the Holy Spirit upon the heart that Luke talks about here that decades later the Apostle Paul unpacked. In 2 Corinthians 8, 1 to 5, he writes to the Corinthian church because Paul is raising money throughout his churches on the mission field to eventually take back to a very impoverished church in Judea. And he says to the Corinthians, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia, over there, Berea, and Thessalonica, and those churches. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy, mixed with their extreme financial poverty, have overflowed in a wealth of financial generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this not as we had expected But they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God through their giving to us. That was Barnabas. Ananias and Sapphira, they're also models. They're models of people who are the exact opposite of Barnabas and the Macedonian Christians. They are people who have not really been changed on the inside. They took God lightly. They thought it would be a cool thing to have others think of us highly within the church. Let's read it. Chapter 5, verse 1. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it. 
and laid it at the apostles' feet. This is what we get later in text. And said, this is all the money our land got. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for this much money, the money that your husband has given. And she said, Yes, that's what we sold it for. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead. And they carried her out and buried her beside her husband in great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. Now, we know from reading our Bibles, even in the book of Acts, there are other examples of hypocrisy. Like in chapter 8, Simon the magician, I'll pay money to get this gift. It's cool. It's what I do. He was rebuked, but God didn't kill him. Right then. All these others, we don't have examples of being struck dead. So what's happening? Well, here's an easy one. God's sovereign. He can withhold temporal judgment for a long time if He wishes. Or could enact it immediately. But here's my shot at it. Maybe it's because the church is brand new, it's fresh, and the Lord is setting a sober example and lesson of the seriousness of this sin of pride and arrogance and fakery among God's people. The reason they drop dead is because God's given a fearful, stunning warning to the whole church that phony Christians are not going to get away with it. Sooner or later, God will out them. The fake the phony, and the unrepentant. God's purpose for all of His people who really belong to Him is to fear fakery. Fear hypocrisy. Fear Acting as if the Holy Spirit doesn't actually know what we are thinking or doing. I don't know what he's doing. I'm going to read verse 5 again, and I want you to pay attention to the last sentence of it. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down dead. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. Then in verse 11 again, after Sapphira dropped dead, we read, great 
fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. Luke is clearly telling us, don't mess around with God. Don't toy. Don't play the hypocrite. It's a fearful thing to put on a mask in the church and fake it. Don't lie to the Holy Spirit. He is always very present. You remember how the Apostle Paul wrote to the Philippians in chapter 2 and said, Here's, come on, go on. And how did he say it there? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Because genuine faith in the gospel coming to the Father. It is His good pleasure to give to you the, the, the kingdom. I trust Him. That genuine faith and trust always incorporates a godly fear. In fact, fear of God and comfort with God. Abba, Daddy, always go together. I want you to notice something that Luke writes later on in the book of Acts. Chapter 9, verse 31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. Peace from persecution now for a while. That's what it means. Now then he says this. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, the church multiplied. They went together. Being a religious fake in the local church and treating the gospel of the Holy Spirit lightly and flippantly should be a very fearful prospect. So having said, how do how does fear? Yeah, that's scary. And we're all sinners. Mm, don't you love 1 John 1, 9? We confess our sins. He's faithful. He's just to forgive us our sins. It's there. But then living a pattern of, of hypocrisy is all the more fearful. But so how does that kind of fear go along with comfort? Well, in a sense, it's simple. Because those who love the Lord, who treasure the promises of the eternal kingdom and the resurrection, it's laid up for us. We, we day by day battle with sin and, and thus, because of our trust in Him, we fear when our sin rises and battle it. In other words, it's simply works that we walk in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit because it's precisely by the indwelling and filling power of the Holy Spirit, who, we who are sinners, that He is causing to make us real and authentic. Not Ananias and Sapphira. So just, just make sure that we're clear on the sin of Ananias and Sapphira. Their sin was not that they sold a piece of property and only gave a percentage of the money instead of all of the money. No. In fact, as we have seen, Peter made it clear that even after selling the land, that's your money, you could have kept all of it if you wanted to. That in and of itself would not have been a sin. Their sin was that they conspired to deceive the church into thinking they were giving the entire amount. 
Their motive was to impress everyone that they were really spiritual giants. And here, motive was everything in their sin. They were motivated by the praise of men. They were motivated by self-exaltation, not love for God and not love for others. These are the kinds of persons throughout church history who adjust who they are depending upon who they are around. At church, I put on this particular mask. I go off into the workplace all week, and I'm another person. In my softball league, I'm another sort of a guy. Ananias and Sapphira loved money. They got all that cash from the sale of the land, and it seems as if they looked at it, and they could not bear the thought of giving it all away. But they couldn't bear the thought of not saying, we're also like Barnabas. And that is what produced verse 2. With his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Barnabas, look how cool we are. And Barnabas couldn't care less, by the way, about that. The love of money and the praise of man almost always go together. Luke, our same writer, also recorded an interaction between Jesus and Ananias types. In Luke 16, verses 13 to 15, we read, no servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Here's the Ananias types. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things and they ridiculed Jesus. But Jesus said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men. But God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. It is the love of money and the praise of men that leads, like with Ananias and Sapphira, to deceptions, to lies, and thus the more you lie, the more you have to continue to lie. To cover up their sin of covetousness, they needed to deceive. And verse 3 says, they lied to the Holy Spirit. In verse 4, you have not lied to man, but you have lied to God. So, as a supply, Luke lays out for us two paths. Two paths we can go by, two paths we can live by, two examples to choose from. Barnabas's or Ananias and Sapphira's. 
The one, Ananias and Sapphira, here, here it is. So let me lay out to you and give you some helpful application if you want to go down this road, which let it be none of us. But this is how you do it. Allow Satan to fill your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit. And then let that be the unrepentant pattern of your life. It's real simple. What you do, you wake up every day as if the Holy Spirit is really not right there, present. That's what you do. And then you think to yourself, as long as other people don't know about the choices I'm making in my life that are against the clear Word of God, then I'm okay. In other words, live as if what Jesus said is not really true when he said, where your treasure is. Oh yeah, you can find it all the time. Go look. That's where your heart will be also. Say to yourself, nah, not really. Not only that, where my heart is is not that relevant because all the people around my life, they can't see my heart. Okay, that's probably true. Oh, but not only that, you go further and say, well, the Holy Spirit, well, He's a very busy guy. So, He certainly is not paying attention to little old me. I understand his presence, uh, you know, his omnipresence and his omniscience. That's theology. That's not really reality where I live. That's how you walk down that path. Ananias and Sapphira thought to themselves, the Holy Spirit really is not a person who knows all things and acts in such a way that he may strike people dead. That's how they thought. Or maybe, maybe they had a developed theology like many do today, which concludes, no matter where my heart and affections really lay, no matter how those affections and desires lead my deceptive, sinful, hypocritical actions, God tolerates everything because I love Jesus. So did they. They thought. Luke is telling us, don't go down that path. Fear living an unrepentant, mouthing, I'm a Christian, I love Jesus kind of life, without works and deeds that follow and show. Don't go down that path, but instead be like Barnabas. Barnabas did not love and worship money. When he sold his field, he did not all of a sudden see the cash on hand and dream, oh my goodness, that really could buy me this and that and the other thing in this temporal world. Look at the pleasures that would bring. And then say to himself, I can't let this money go. Uh -uh. He was so filled with joy in his Savior Jesus that he was aware of eternity versus the temporal. He was aware of his freedom to do with his possessions that God had given him in the way that he wanted to do with them. And he overflowed in giving. His heart was struck by the Holy Spirit to see the good that he could do for the Christ community that he was in and those who were in need. And in his heart, by God's grace, 
there wasn't the desire to appear so generous before people, to be patted on the back for. That's what Ananias and Sapphira desired. Barnabas didn't have that because he had Jesus and he was walking in fellowship with the Holy Spirit. He didn't need the praise of men. He reveled in Jesus' words. Fear not, little flock, for it is the Father's good pleasure to give to you the kingdom. In other words, very, very unlike Ananias and Sapphira, when it came to Barnabas, what you see is what you get. And when you're real, you don't have to lie. When you are real, you don't need to seek to please people. Barnabas lived as if the Holy Spirit was always present. And because of the grace of Jesus to him as a sinner, that reality was a comfort. It was a joy. It was empowering to him. It was empowering for him to trust and to repent and to love others and to give. Holy Father, may we, by the same grace that produced and carried your servant and Barnabas, may we follow in his steps by the power of the same Spirit that indwelt him. May we walk in the conscious presence of your Spirit amongst us and with us always. And thus, through Jesus Christ, find such deep joy in all of our service and works and deeds and giving to the glory of your holy name. Amen.